Good morning, man. Am I glad to be back? Um, miss you guys. I hope you guys are safe and well. And wow, my screen looks super bright today. There we go. Um, well, we'll wait a few seconds for you guys to hop on today. I want to share with you guys on my latest flip, which we closed on August 17th. It's Green Gables in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, it was a pretty interesting property. So I'd like to share with you guys so you guys get some insights on uh, why I bought it, what I did with it, how I made an amazing rate of return on my money. And uh, we'll, uh, hopefully you guys will learn something today and um, I wanna open it to Q&A afterwards. I'm sure you guys will have questions. Um, and Looks like you guys are hopping on. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I still don't see your names. It just says Facebook user. So, um, ah, I see Reza. Good morning, Reza. <laughs> um, all right, uh, let's get started. And for those of you that are gonna join in a few minutes, you can always uh, replay and watch the entire segment. With that, let me share my, good morning, Amin. Uh, let me share my screen. Again, guys, I'm gonna repeat myself for those of you that just hopped on. Uh, today, I'm gonna do the review of a case study of a latest flip I did in Phoenix, Arizona. It's called Green Gables uh, Medical Office. It's a four-story office building in Phoenix. Uh, very interesting play. I, uh, from start to finish, took me eight months to flip it and a fantastic rate of return. And hopefully you guys will, uh, you know, get some insights into why I picked this property and what I did with it and how I milked the cow uh, and sold it and did an exit. So with that, let me share my screen. Uh, I feel great, by the way, guys. For those of you uh, that are wondering, I feel great. I'm happy to be back. And let me see if we can do this right. Okay. Perfect. So Green Gables office building. It is in Phoenix. Again, it's a four-story building. I don't know why my screen keeps jumping back and forth. Um, it had a pretty uh, interesting uh, style of construction, but I like the location. It's a hard corner on 24th and Thomas in Phoenix. And it was... Uh, it was listed at a very high cap rate uh, of 9.2. Let me see if I can pull it up. Yeah, 9.23 is listed for a little under 4.6 million. I was able to negotiate and buy it for 4.35, going in there with a non-refundable deposit, quick closing. Um, I used an all cash uh, offer. I used my unsecured line of credit, but for the purpose of analysis, um, I put 30 per, I'm using a 30% down uh, transaction so you guys can relate because uh, obviously, you know, I have a lot of resources to buy properties, a lot of line of credits. So I only use 400,000 cash out of my pocket to buy this property. But uh, the property is on 1.6 acres, 49,000 square feet rentable, which one of the things I teach you guys is to remeasure your buildings. I was able to pick up 5,000 or 6,000 square feet by remeasuring it. I'll show you guys that 
in my new OM. But as you can see, there is cell towers on the roof right here. It was two cell towers and I sold the roof alone for $827,000. And I'm gonna share that with you guys. The anchor tenant, Southwest Human Development, occupies 31% of the property. This one here expired uh, within seven months of my closing. So I renewed this tenant for two years at no TIs, just paid a, a little bit of a leasing commission uh, to their broker, but no TI. That's really all I did. I renewed this anchor tenant for two years, sold the roof. Um, here's a closing statement, 4.35. Um, earnest money, 500 grand and 3.7 was buyer's closing. These came from minus the 400 grand came from my unsecured line of credit. I closed this on December 18th. Um, I did a cost segregation, which some of you that might not know what the uh, process is. This is a um, engineer based a study that they go through the entire building and they go ahead, carve out portions of the improvements that can be depreciated less than 39 years. In this case, I picked up about eight, $900,000 in tax write-off, extra depreciation. Let me see if there's a chart here. Here we go. So out of the purchase price minus the land, whatever the improvement, they used $2.5 million of it for 39 year table to be depreciated in over 39 years. And then I picked up 627,000 for a five year and a 353,000 for 15 year depreciation. Now, both of these, you can go ahead and do a bonus depreciation and I'm not giving tax advice, talk to your CPA, but you could take those all in the same year you buy the property. Um, and so I went ahead and used that to offset some of my income. So the tax benefits were huge on this building for me, but I'm not even using that uh, in my rate of return calculation. Here's the closing statement. Um, I did a cash out refi in March on this property. If you remember, I used unsecured line of credit. I bought it cash. So I pulled out another 3 million bucks to free up my unsecured line of credit. So even if you use this as your uh, actual closing statement, and that's 70% LTV. So that's why I used 30% down for my analysis. This is a roof. I sold it to Everest. It's a big company that buy rooftops for $827,000 in cash. And this was 827,000 for the two cell towers, a Sprint was paying me 25.23 a month and AT&T $1,414 a month. If you do the math, you add these two together times 12, divide by 827,000, you get a cap of 5.8 and I bought the property for 9.5 cap, give or take, or close to 10 cap. So, uh, you know, I picked up the Delta, the difference between the two, right? Here's the offering memorandum. After I was done with the building, we listed it in July and within two weeks we had an offer and the building was remeasured and we picked up uh, 54,000 a square feet minus 49. So about 5,000 a square feet I picked up by remeasuring the building. And we sold it at 7.5 cap. 
sold it for 5.6 million. I could have sold it for full price offer if I hung around, but I had another property in tow that I wanted to go ahead, use the proceeds from this one and do a 1031 exchange. Um, so I went ahead and took an all cash offer uh, from a 1031 exchange buyer for 5.6 million. And here is my closing statement. We closed this on August 17 for 5.6 million. And to, well, sellers on this side, buyers on this side. So it will show you my proceeds of 2.9 million. Do seller. This went to 1031 exchange. And, uh, we went ahead and uh, opened escrow and I'm closing on a $22 million property at 3150 bear. Let me show you guys the numbers. So here's what it looks like. I bought it on, uh, it was actually, I think December 17th, but on December 20th last year for 4.35. Um, for the purpose of analysis, I'm gonna do something that's more uh, traditional 30% down would be 1.3 million. This is you guys would put 1.3 million to buy the property, sold the roof for 827, sold the building for 5.6 million for a total of 6.427. And I didn't even use the cash flow. This property threw about 20,000 a month in cash flow for me, but I'll go ahead and use that to offset some of the loan costs and closing costs. We didn't pay a sales commission to sell it. I listed on LoopNet myself, sold it by owner. So there was no sale commissions uh, paid to any third party brokers. So the net gain is 2,777,000. If you take the 4.35 minus 6.4, the total proceeds I got, you end up with 2,077,000 net gain, and that's 160%. So if you take the 2 million divided by the 1.3 million you put cash down, you get 160% return on your money. That's only for eight months. Doesn't include the cost segregation benefits I got, the tax benefits I got, which was probably 350 grand tax savings for me, cash in my pocket, which I should add in here, but I'm just gonna leave that out. That's a frosty on the cake. If you analyze the return, take that, 2 million divided by eight months times 12, you get about 3 million bucks. And that's 3 million divided by 1.3, that gives you 238% annualized rate of return, which is fantastic, right? And the best part is I took the proceeds and did a 1031 exchange into another property that's a major distressed property locally here for 22 million. I'm buying that and closing on it hopefully this Thursday. So I didn't pay any taxes on the 2 million or the tax benefit I got, the depreciation. So you wanna make sure you do a cash out refi, which is what I did, and basically use a cost segregation to maximize your tax benefits. And then you wanna make sure you 1031 exchange so you don't trigger any capital gain taxes. So this is pretty much an A to Z process. It's a very small deal in terms of uh, deals I've done recently, but it was an interesting property that uh, the listing agent left a lot of money on the table and was selling at a very high cap rate for a great located multi-tenant office. And I did rename it medical because my anchor tenant is a medical tenant. And that 
does help marketing. When buyers look at medical, they get excited. So these are some of the tactics. It's not really tactic, it's just <laughs> the real uh, value I saw and I put the property in best light to sell it. So with that, I'm gonna stop sharing my screen. And instead of rambling on, I wanna turn it over to questions with you guys. I'm sure you're gonna have a lot of it. And why don't I get Logan over here to help me out with questions. Hey, What's there he is. Uh, we're still social distancing, so I'm hopping it from upstairs in the office. Um, but we'll go ahead and start with the questions and the comments. And first one is going to be from Himmy. Um, so good to see you here this morning. And he said, where did you find the property? Was it on LoopNet? Yes, it was on LoopNet. Uh, I, uh, you know, my property analyst pulled it up, showed it to me. I'm like, whoa, this looks really interesting. I love the... What attracted me first to the property was the type of uh, construction, the copper roof. Um, it looked interesting, looks different, and then it's on a hard corner. I'm like, all right, let's dig in, see who's, uh, you know, what's under the hood. And we looked at the rent roll. I'm like, aha, that's the risk. In seven months, 30% of the building could be vacant. And that's why it's selling at a high cap rate. And uh, we did the buyer's interview and I got very comfortable with the tenant renewal and uh, pull the trigger, everything else, uh, check all the boxes, so. Um, so I hope you don't mind if I ask a question on that. Of course not. Why do you feel that the old owner wasn't able to renew that anchor tenant versus you coming in and you did renew with no TIs or anything? Ah, personality. So the seller was an attorney uh, that didn't uh, have a good relation with any of the tenants. Um, they actually renegotiated their lease. They were trying to renegotiate their lease with the anchor tenant. When I did the tenant interview, the anchor tenant says, you know, it didn't go nowhere. Uh, the landlord's being unreasonable, blah, 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 blah. So that told me, hey, the tenant wants to stay. They just can't, you know, come to terms. And the seller was an attorney, very difficult person to deal with from my experience. So uh, a lot of times you gotta look, see if the issues with the property is something you can fix and correct. In this case, it was a personality between, you know, the seller and uh, had a difficult uh, personality to, to negotiate with. <laughs> gotcha, makes sense. All right, uh, and then Reza commented, can you please unpack the cost segregation portion of the property? Can I unpack it? Yes. So basically what happens with cost segregation is uh, you hire a CPA engineering firm to go out and document uh, what the improvements of the building are worth. That's doors, windows, flooring, things that are not likely to stay there for 39 years, which is a custom uh, timetable, uh, a specific timetable that, that IRS uses for commercial property, 39 years across the board. And if it's multifamily, uh, residential, they use, uh, I take the back, if it's up to four units, residential, they use 27 and a half years timetable. So let's just say you bought the building for 4 million bucks. The land is worth a million. You cannot depreciate land. So your CPA will take 3 million bucks divided by 39 years. This is if you don't do cost segregation study. And on your tax return, you're going to see $76,923 depreciation for the next 39 years. 
And what you do, or the wealthy do, um, almost every wealthy landlord uses cost segregation. They go ahead and speed up the depreciation on certain items in the building that you paid for, doors, windows, flooring, tenant improvements. With every tenant rollover, you're uh, going to probably have new flooring, paint. So what they do, they say, okay, well, out of the three million, a million of it is going to be redone in the next five years. So we're going to depreciate it and accelerate it. And IRS allows you to take a bonus depreciation instead of waiting five years to take it over the five years. They'll let you take the whole thing in the year you closed on the property. So I took eight hundred or nine hundred thousand dollars worth of expense in December twenty twenty, right when I bought the building for that tax year, and obviously I make you know a lot of money and that helped me save about three four hundred grand in taxes and i didn't use that in my roi calculation because hey some people may not need the depreciation expense but uh i've never heard of you talk about bonus depreciation before can you like go further about cpa <laughs> well um yeah those are some tax benefits that are currently within you know the irs uh, uh guidelines and rules that uh, it may go away with Biden, but right now they do allow bonus depreciation. It's not just on property. You can do it on a SUV over 6,000 pounds. Um, you uh, you know, it could be a, a Royce Royce Cullinan, uh, anything over 6,000 pound SUV, DMV, if you Google it, uh, I'm sorry, IRS, if you Google it uh, for a bonus depreciation on, uh, on vehicles, it has a specific list of cars. You can go ahead and do it. So you can buy a car, finance at 100%, 90%, whatever, and take that entire purchase and write it off as a bonus depreciation on a car. As long as it's on the list with IRS, uh, list of vehicles. But I don't talk a lot about tax savings, guys, because by law, you got to be licensed CPA, uh, accountant. I'm none of those. And, and for exposure, for liability reasons, you can understand. I don't dive a lot and discuss a lot of topics on tax savings, but these are things you can question your CPA and you know inquire and ask about your, uh, you know these things from your CPA. Awesome. And then uh, Aram, I believe, is the next one. He said, uh, "So there is no formal doc stating the tenants would extend their stay in the property." What What is it again? Sorry, repeat. He asked, uh, "Was there no formal documents?" that said the tenant was going to extend their stay in the property? No, this is what you do verbally. Uh, it's called tenant interviews before you go hard on your deposit. Um, you know, in this case, I had a talk with the tenant before I even went hard on my deposit and I got comfortable with it. The tenant says, no, they want to stay. They don't plan to leave, but they couldn't come to terms with the landlord and they'll, you know, they would be very interested to talk to me after closing. So there is really no formal, but you can document your tenant interviews and the outcome and, you know, and if you feel comfortable with the results from your tenant interviews, then that's a risk you take. All right. And then uh, Reza said, so number one, what was the occupancy percentage before and after acquisition? And number two, what was the upside again that made you such a good profit? Yeah, number one, Reza, the occupancy didn't change much. I think I put one a small tenant, but then again, we lost the tenant. Uh, solar, it was a solar tenant we lost. 
and I went ahead and uh, you know give uh, I think thirty five hundred dollar credit to the buyer for you know carpet paint to put new tenant. So the occupancy didn't really move the needle on there. What was his second question? The second question: What was the upside again that made you such a good profit? The upside was the two cell towers. Um, I bought the property at a nine, almost a ten cap. I sold a rooftop easement, the two cell towers at a five point eight cap. So you can, the difference is probably three hundred grand. Uh, I picked up. Had I not sold a rooftop, I would have got probably five hundred thousand dollars more for the purchase price. But in this case, I got eight hundred twenty-seven thousand because I sold at a lower cap rate. And then number two, the upside was the listing agent was a leasing broker. He has not done a lot of uh, sales uh, on this uh, office building uh, asset class, and he really mispriced it. And a lot of times you find properties that are selling at a higher cap rate, uh, listed at a higher cap rate, and they're just leaving money on the table. And you will realize that as you look at 10, 20, 30 listings a day in that market, which I, you know, I Phoenix is one market I look at every single day as listings come up. So when one pops up a 9.2 cap, that gets my attention. Awesome. Uh, next question from Benjamin. He said, what sort of value add opportunities do you see in the new property that you're 1031 exchanging into? Um, I.e., what made you buy it? Oh, that's huge. Um, this property is a former church, uh, Trinity Broadcasting Network, TBN. That 25 Christian uh, TV stations. Uh, I don't know the whole story what went down, but the property was, uh, you know, built as an office back in you know 1980, and then the church bought it uh, 15 years ago, put millions and millions into it. They vacated, became distressed. Why do I like it? Well, it's six and a half acres right by South Coast Plaza, one of the most expensive, highly dense populated area of Orange County. And um, the dirt alone is worth probably 30 million. I'm buying it for 22. And it was appraised for 41 million six years ago. Uh, so it's for me is simple math. I'm buying it at massive discount to replacement cost and uh, below dirt value. And the exit on it for me, you know, it's gonna be twofold. Either I uh, do multi-tenant lease it and then sell it as a investment property at a you know five cap it easily be worth 35 million to 40 or uh sell it to a developer after i get it entitled for 600 to a thousand unit apartments uh senior living there's a lot of plays with it on the de development because of the uh, uh large size of the parcel so all right uh next question from reza um would you explain insecure? Would you explain uh, secure line of credit and how one can be qualified? How one can qualify with his bank for that? Yeah, that just comes. Reza, that comes with years of uh, relationship, um, and I have a lot of liquidity. So with this particular bank, I think I had uh, you know seven million dollars in liquidity with them. And they gave me four million dollars line it's unsecured i can use the line for anything i'm not going to say anything it has to be for business purposes which i'm in business of flipping real estate um you know the line is not there for me to go buy a bugatti for example 
But uh, after five years of relationship with this bank, they gave me that unsecured line of credit. I have another one with another bank for $2 million on secure line of credit. Uh, that's, again, based on relationship with the bank. So they look at your liquidity. They look at your performance. And as your business grows, uh, the you know local community banks are there to help entrepreneurs grow their business. And that's one benefit of going with a smaller bank to build a relationship and to get access to this type of, uh, you know, uh, liquidity resources all right uh next question from mike he said with cost segregation that you used can the mm -hmm. buyer do the same cost segregation or is he um precluded from doing it nope the buyer can go ahead and do cost segregation there is no limit how many times you do a cost segregation on a property uh the cost segregation done for the client is a specific to that client cost basis and it moves on with the tax return. So in other words, this cost segregation I did reduced my cost basis by 800 or 900 grand. And now that I did 1031 exchange, my new property is gonna be deducted 900 grand because I did a 1031 exchange. So it moves, right? Moves with me, doesn't stay on the property. And if I do break my 1031, guess what? It, all this depreciation is gonna be recaptured and I gotta pay taxes on it. So it's not free, you're just deferring your gains and the tax benefit you get, it's also being deferred. It's a get, bit confusing, I know, but that's how it works. And as you keep doing a lot of 1031 exchanges, your cost basis keeps getting lower because you're using depreciation, right? So it reduces your cost basis. Awesome. Uh, next question from Robin. He said, is the seller on the call for the tenant interviews also? yeah usually the seller is not on the call but the listing agent is um in this case i think we only had the listing agent on the call but the tenants all right and the next question from Milad, he said hi manny uh were you able to renew the anchor tenant at the close of escrow or you negotiated after the closing and then renewed their lease no it took me three months uh the tenant didn't expire till July of this year. I think in March or April is when we renewed them. Gotcha. Uh, next question from Robin. He said, was there no competition for the property? Understood it was poorly marketed, but surprised others did not bid up the price. <laughs> of course there was. There was multiple offers on the property. The property was uh, came to market within a few days or a week is when we put the offer on that multiple offers. Uh, of course, uh, I went non-refundable. If I recall, I put 250,000 or 500,000 non-refundable uh, to get the deal. And uh, this is a, a, the type of negotiations I do often on the $22 million building I'm in escrow, I'm about to close, that I did the same thing. I give a million and a half non-refundable day one. Uh, because they have seven offers on it and the highest was 26 million. So 4 million higher than me. But the seller uh, wanted out and wanted certainty of closing. So I offered 22 million all cash with a million and a half day one, non-refundable. And a lot of times in a seller's market, uh, that's what you gotta do. All right, and then Robin also asked, how'd you find the church? 
listed i listed on uh open market so i get alerts so my deal flow comes i would say 90 percent of it is from just the email blast i'm in the network of all these uh, brokerage firms and every time they list a the property uh, i'm listed as a principal so i get the first crack at it and that's one thing you guys again with years of experience and networking with these other brokers and brokerage houses you'll be be on their email list and every time they do an email blast before they list it on loopnet co-start they'll send an email blast because they want to double end it and uh you'll be getting more and more in your deal flow as you sign up on their websites and uh, make sure you sign up as a principal because that's what they want to sell they want to they don't want to go through a broker all right and then aram said sorry if this has been shared before is there an om that i can look at for this deal yeah it's the same om i shared with you guys um i can send it uh login to you and you can post it to the group perfect yeah that'll be in the group later today uh and then our last question from Himi. he said if we find our first property on loopnet do you recommend having a buyer's agent because he's wondering the pros and cons honestly no if you want to get the deal awarded i would say don't ask for a fee if you get a buyer's agent someone's gonna have to pay the buyer's agent um and guess what the listing agent is gonna push on the offer to their client the seller that benefits them the most and and that would be one that is not asking for a fee um if you're not uh certain or confident about your judgment on a property then you can consult you know a broker you're working with and um you know if you want to throw them some fee just to kind of take a look under the hood for you um that that would you know i would recommend that if it's your first deal but if you put in a buyer's agent with two or three percent asking fee your chances of getting a deal are going to be minimal in this market all right and that wraps it up for us all right well uh i know i ramble a lot and it was a ton of info so i'm sure you guys are gonna have more questions but this is good because you guys can replay watch this video write down your questions for next week and i'll get to it next week be safe be well thank you guys thanks logan and see you guys next tuesday thanks everyone